Welcome to Comadres y Comics. Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 115. How are you girls doing? We are your hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Hi, girls. What's going on? What's the haps? Hello. What, what are the tales of today? <laughs> <laughs> the tales of today. Well, I mentioned briefly earlier that I was a weak bitch today and I went <laughs> and got Taco Bell for lunch. But oh, no, I, I got up late. And so I didn't start running until about nine or 10. And I did 10 miles before Taco Bell. So I feel like that's some sort of like balance in the universe that I went <laughs> that I ran 10 miles before getting Taco Bell. And I did do harm reduction for those of you who do not work in social services and are unfamiliar with the term harm reduction. It's basically like you're still doing bad stuff, but like at a lesser level than what you used to. So for example, <laughs> like maybe I only shoot up heroin once this week instead of the five times that I'm used to, right? So today I chose to not get the Crunchwrap Supreme, which is like the thing that I order when I go to Taco Bell. And instead I just got a um, bean and cheese burrito and a taco Supreme. So, which are smaller little things, which yes, I, I'm writing an angry letter to Taco Bell as well to let them know <laughs> that their serving portions and sizes have like shrunk more than half their size from when I used to talk about when I was a young kid. Um, <laughs> and like, that's not okay with me. I'm, I'm actually paying more now for less. So, and don't judge me and do not try to snatch my Latinx card for eating Taco Bell. <laughs> it is a it is a comfort food for me. It's my favorite uh, fast food. Um, so I just wanted it today. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like most of the stuff that we uh, remember as kids, like I remember tricks when they were round. They were really delicious. Yes. And now they're stupid fruit shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, no they're round again Tricks they're round, are round again? again oh yeah. really that's another good spin i actually don't like them round because i grew up with how they were fruit shaped and i really like them being fruit shaped but then they went round and i was just like man fuck this around right now and so oh. i don't know if they're gonna or they might stay around who knows but i don't eat tricks anymore actually i don't really eat sugary cereals anymore yeah like i, I the closest that i hmm? oh no go ahead <laughs> i said i think the closest the closest i now eat like adult cereals or whatever and but they're like just as tasty to me so like I don't mind raisin bread as much anymore uh like honey bunches of oats and stuff like that the Kellogg's strawberry ones and stuff like that they're they're like like I eat a lot of multi-grain or whole grain cereals now and I'm um and like I don't I don't mind them like and I tried eating frosted flakes the other day and my teeth hurt and I was just like oh, wow shit, I can't I can't eat this anymore I'm just like Man, pour one out for Cocoa Pebbles and all of the other ones because they, those used to be my shit and I can't eat them anymore. They're too they're too sweet for me. Yeah, my favorite sweet 
cereal is Fruity Pebbles. And I I haven't eaten them in years, but the last time I tried to eat them, I was same thing. My teeth hurt. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't even finish it because it was just so sugary. And I'm like, how are we feeding our children this? And like, it's so there's the options, the options of all the sugary cereals that are on the shelf. There's like so many. And for me, I just used to pick the cereal I wanted based on the toy that was inside anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they've stopped doing the toy inside the cereal thing, too. Because, oh, like, man. It's kept choking on them or something. The joking on you them. don't eat the toy. You <laughs> what is wrong with these new generations? They're eating, I don't know. They're eating Tide Pops. They're eating the 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 uh the toy inside the cereal. What the hell? What's going on? <laughs> no man, I I still like Fruity Pebbles. Actually, Fruity Pebbles I didn't start eating till I was old. But my go-to was Cocoa Puffs for, for uh, sugary stuff. Yeah. And I feel I still like those. Um, a Trix was my favorite growing up. But again, the round one. I, I tried the the fruit-shaped uh, ones, and I couldn't get into them. <clears throat> and I haven't bought Trix since then because apparently Jen says they went back to round. <laughs> for me, it was always... Uh, okay, so when I was growing up and I saw grape nuts commercials. Oh, yeah. And I always wanted to have grape nuts because they were the adult in nature and in the yeah. garden and, you know, all this wholesome like imagery. And so when I finally was able to like, okay, say, okay, I'm going to buy myself some grape nuts. I did. And they tasted like little rocks. what the fuck? There's no taste at all to grape nuts. And I was like, why do you... my whole childhood, I've been lied to about these fucking grape nuts being delicious. And now that I fu- finally fucking ate them, they taste like fucking pebbles and little rocks in your teeth and shit. I was like so disappointed. But my go-to cereal, if I ever have cereal, is uh, Honey Bunches of Oats. Mm. It has the right type of everything. Nuts, which I love nuts, except Half cashew. Nuts. I'm a nut. I'm a nut fanatico. I, I do not like uh, <laughs> uh, um, cashews, but I like like. <gasps> you don't like cashews? I know, right? I and Frank loves them. I love. I them. love them too. They're the bougie oh, nut. Yeah, they are the bougie nut. That, <laughs> the cashews and macadamia. Yeah, are like the yeah. bougie nuts. Walnuts, almonds. You know. Um, pistachios anyway uh grape nut, uh grape nuts not grape nuts um honey bunches of oats and that now they have that honey almonds of oats i think oh. anyway mm-hmm. delicious as fuck they have the right amount of honey that you know sweetens the whole thing but it's just uh yeah for me growing up it was like kellogg's for, and then we just added sugar yeah <laughs> my mom wouldn't buy us the uh, uh the frosted flakes oh I know, sadness. But they're great. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. But uh, yeah, so um, Lucky Charms, I try to eat, but if the marshmallows in milk didn't make them softer, then it wasn't, I was not. Yeah, I was not a fan of the marshmallows either. Me neither. No, no, no. But uh, the chocolate stuff I did like. I did like because it turned my milk into chocolate milk at the end. So it was mm-hmm. like satisfactory all around. So. That's that's my serial story. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, guys. Uh, I've been waiting for this because uh, I don't know. It's Sunday and and it's nice and cloudy. But what time is it today? <laughs> what is it? Es, es la hora de la cervecita. And today we have yet another George Lopez Brewing Company beer. We have been trying them. Um, since I discovered that there is a George Lopez Brewing Company restaurant here in my own little backyard of Torrance, California. And this one is Lil Mexi. It is a Mexican style lager. And it is, um, it says on the can, Lil Mexi is as good as it gets. Sabes que? It's like that friend. You want know this is a little side story, but <laughs> my my grandma had a boyfriend who ever since I was born, I knew him as her boyfriend. He was 10 years younger than Ooh. her, and he was an alcoholic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and he would come home drunk all the time. And I was a little kid. I mean, ever since I can remember seeing him coming home, he was drunk. I don't know what it is. Tell me if this is just a Latino thing. But when he was drunk, everything was, ¿sabes qué? ¿Sabes qué? ¿Sabes qué? His little, even right now thinking about it, his little drunk, like, slurring of words, ¿sabes qué? So, reading <laughs> this makes me think about that. Um, but the uh, <laughs> can says, ¿sabes qué? It's like that friend we all have. That's like, let's go! Add an extra lime and just kick back. So this beer is uh, ABV of, let's see, 5.4. So it is a lager. And what it, Mexican style lager, I'm assuming they are um, uh, comparing it to things like Corona, Soul, uh, mm -hmm. what are some other, yeah, Tecate, um, and it's described as an easy drinking Mexican lager, perfect for hot days in the California sun, uh, or wherever else in the sun, uh, they use Motueca hops, I always think of Chueca, I like the hop for Chueca, <laughs> Motueca hops, give it a touch of lime aroma and flavor, so no need to garnish unless you want to, so um, I guess that we should have had lime here ready uh, on the sides to drink it. So Dude, I'm drinking it right out of the can. Me too. It's one pint. It's one of those taller cans. So like you get like a full nice um, what is it, uh, quantity of beer per can. Uh -huh. They come in a four pack and you could actually purchase them either at the brewery itself. Smells like Corona. And actually, no. Uh -huh. I hate Corona. It does. It maybe a similar smell, but Corona tastes like water to me. It tastes awful to me. It has this like weird aftertaste. Anyway, um, uh, you can actually purchase these cans. Also, they're carried by some food for less out there. So, oh, uh, I saw these available for sale for nine ninety nine for a four pack at Food for Less in the city of Gardena, right uh, before you enter the ninety one freeway. Actually, the, all the freeway entrances are right there, like on Normandy. Not, I'm sorry. Um, Vermont and Artesia Boulevard. There is yeah. a food for less there. Yes. And they, they have um they have the uh George over by the Krispy Kreme. That's right. That's right. <laughs> there's so much traffic there because of the Krispy Kreme. Yes. Yeah, I had no idea they were so freaking popular. All the time yeah, that Krispy Kreme, the line is so long. Oh yeah. So long. 
And I'm like, who is going to the drive-thru to buy donuts? I don't understand that concept. Yeah, and, and people buy them by the box donuts. full. And I'm just like, what? I don't even really like Krispy Kreme because I prefer cake donuts and they are not cake. I don't know what they call that. I think they're glazed, aren't they? But yeah. they're super sweet. I'm just like, yeah. One, t- one time I hadn't eaten Krispy Kreme for like two years. And then my aunt went and bought a, a box and then she's like you want one I'm like sure I haven't had one in a while oh my god two bites and I was done yeah. I was like I need some <laughs> coffee with this because <laughs> yeah and, and sugarless coffee because I'm yeah. gonna put extra sugar in my coffee to eat this yeah it was just super sweet anyway back to the beer um I hate lagers like <laughs> I do not like lagers like yeah I it's not my go-to at all um I'll have some Belgium style lagers. Those are really good. I love those. But other than that, I'm not really into lagers at all. Like mm-hmm. at all. I, I didn't like the um what the the bachete one. What what was his name? Oh, that one sucked. Yes. Yeah, it had this weird aftertaste. But this one, guys, I am actually pleased with. I'm not disappointed at all. Uh this is one of the beers that I would actually use to make my Michelada. Like I think that uh-huh. this this is perfect for that. Uh, it's smooth. It does not have any weird aftertaste. Uh, the smell isn't so bad. I mean, I <laughs> it's I not just, so bad. <laughs> no, I mean, because I distinctly, I distinctly do not like Corona. I definitely do not like Modelo. Like the only type of Modelo I can drink is Modelo Negra. Yeah, me too. That's special, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being pleasantly surprised that I like this is a positive sign. So what do you guys think? So this is Kristen and literally seconds before we started this podcast and we chose this beer, I said, I will be shocked if I like this (laughs) (laughs) because it's not that I don't like lagers, but the fact that it says specifically Mexican style lager to me infers that it tastes like crap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> because yes yeah, same thing with me all of those beers that you listed off um just have this like first of all they're not very flavorful at all but they just I don't know it, I guess maybe that's just what I want to say is that I just don't find them flavorful um but I do like pilsners and lagers on hot summer days and um, when I don't want to drink an IPA because IPAs just make me feel full and heavy. And on hot summer days, that's not the feeling that I want. And um, 100%, there are lagers and pilsners out there that have flavor that craft breweries make that I, I would highly recommend. And 100%, I have to say, I am shocked. Because I do like this lager. It is, it has flavor. Um, obviously, it's not an IPA, so there's no back end hoppiness to it that just overwhelms you. Um, it's very refreshing. I definitely would drink it um, with a meal, with my carne asada, uh, on a hot summer day. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. And like I said, I really feel like George Lopez has it down on how to make a beer taste good and be marketable to non-craft beer drinkers if that makes yes. sense no that makes perfect sense absolutely um this is something that like if you want um 
let's say you go to a carne asada and your uncle's there that only drinks Budweiser or Coors, you know, like um, in fucking uh, Cobra Kai shit. Uh, this, this <laughs> Cobra Kai shit. <laughs> that, I mean, I was watching the series, the second one, uh, the second season again, and he just only drinks Coors. And, I'm and like, out of the bottle. Yeah, it has like, to be out of the bottle. And I'm like, why, yeah. motherfucker? There's more for me. There's, stop limiting yourself. But anyway, <laughs> this is definitely what I would bring to that carnasada. You know, like, hey, man, you know, you're not into craft beer, but and you like your your lager here. Try this. You're going to like it. And there, and I, I, I feel that this would be kind of like a turning point in their life where they may be open to craft beer. Yeah. So, so my yeah. mom hates IPAs. Um, and I think definitely I could give her this and her, her go to is Michelob Ultra. <laughs> all right if they don't have make a ultra she'll get miller light she i guess miller she's trying to be uh low carb <laughs> oh, but this God. here um i think she would enjoy it and it has en- just enough flavor uh for somebody who doesn't like craft beers because of their hoppiness um i think it it would definitely be a thumbs up from her for this so next time she is around i'll have to get her opinion on it what about you jen so it smells like corona to me Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but i agree with the both of you in that i'm not really a lager person or like a mexican style beer person because to me the association the association is immediately those kinds of beers like Corona, Tecate, Modelo, and all that stuff. And I just, uh, just personally, I just don't really like them. Uh, I don't really like how they taste. I don't really like uh, what I associate with them and stuff like that. So I wasn't really expecting to like this. Uh, but it's it's pleasant. It's like, I if it was hot outside and this was cold, I'd be like, oh, this is pretty refreshing, actually. And it has like a very subtle taste. It's not tasteless, but it still is very subtle. Um, uh, in its flavor that I think fits it being a lager. And I definitely do think it's something that I would give to somebody who isn't really a craft um, a beer drinker or like kind of like to ease them into like, hey, like maybe your beer could be tasting just a little bit more like this mm-hmm. without being like too overwhelming or too um, overpowerful that it turns them off of like craft beers and stuff like this. Uh, as it is right now, I would 100% give this to my dad right now so that he could drink it. Because just personally for me, it's not a taste that I like very much, um, um, but I know that he does. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's it's good. I took a couple sips um, uh, just to be sure, and it's it, it's a good it's a good relaxing kind of refreshing beer. Um, uh, just so not I, really my my taste. Yeah, that that's fair. I wanted to share with uh, the listeners. Because I myself have heard the term Mexican lager, but I'm like, what does that mean? What what makes it a Mexican lager? And so basically it says um, Mexican lager generally references a beer that is a clean lager with a low bitterness and high clarity, often commonly referred to as clara. Um, But here's where the interesting thing comes in that I had no idea. Um, The use of corn is common in the macro brewing of Mexican lagers in the form of flaked maize. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So interesting. And the the flaked um, maize 
enhances crispness and decreases the cost of the malt bill. Um, and so I guess that they're trying to tell us that it is a cheap way to make a beer. (laughs) (laughs) Which has become a signature kind of when you say Mexican lager now, as opposed, you don't say like, well, I I think I've, I've heard more around, I guess, the craft community and in beer drinking, the Mexican lager as a kind of like, this is this is what you're gonna expect when you say Mexican lager, uh-huh. like like a, I guess like a term that is now synonymous with this type of beer brewing, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, I uh, also wanted to comment on the can art. It is the oh yes, Casa de Mexico, and it has a green wing and a black and white. Oh yeah. And the other wing is red, so it, it it's sort of like a a take on the Mexican flag. It's and pretty cool. It has the rattlesnake in its claws. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's cool! I didn't yeah. even notice that. Yeah, but yes, this is a beer notice. that I would expect to see at a lowrider show. Yeah, all of their can art has been super cool. Um, and I was looking to see if maybe they had the. Yeah, it does. Um, they have the artist's information here on it. It says illustration by Dice One, D Y S E O N E dot com. So this guy is the person who um, has illustrated all the cans, I assume, because they all have the similar style. Oh, okay. Yes, they are. They did have similar styles. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to check out, this person's art, uh, go to dyseone.com. Uh, and I love that they actually share the artist's information and give credit to them on the can. Oh, yeah, that's always my favorite part. You know, when we are introduced to more artists this way by the people who design can art. So, I mean, just art in itself. But then when uh, people who actually uh, brew a beer and then uh, use this platform to highlight artists, mm-hmm. I think it's a magnificent it's one of the best parts I think because the can art is what gets you when you're actually buying the beer and you're there it's set up against all these other beers so you it kind of what you want it to stand out so yeah yeah every time I go to Trader Joe's I try to not buy the wine bottles with dragons on them because I'm just like this is a ploy ploy to get me to buy more wine and actually, Jen, I'm so happy you mentioned that because one of the beers that I actually bought for our, one of our reviews was the direct um, the direct um, result from the ploy of seeing a dragon on the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I need to I need to drink this beer. So but yeah, it was solely because I didn't even read what it was. I just looked at the dragon. I was like, you, me, let's go. but yeah no I totally get it yeah and um yeah so uh, this is very 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 very. this is very it looks very like Chicano Mexican like a a little bit of that kind of art that was developed in uh while you're in jail you know with the (laughs) with the calligraphy and the tattoos tattoos. yeah yeah definitely so um yeah I mean even though I wasn't a part of that 
part of the culture, it is very familiar to me. And I like that they use it on these on these cans. I'm actually looking at that naranja crema and it has like the soldadera with the hat and the, you know, the bullets uh, oh, cool. on her chest. And it, it looks amazing. So like really excited about this. So are we, are we ready to actually rate? The- yes. So as a reminder to our listeners, we have a five point scale for rating the beer and it starts with one being flaccid, two initial, three partial, four full, and a five out of five is a rigid. And if it is a beer that is so amazing that we cannot stand it and we cannot live without it in our life, it is a six out of five super saiyan. So, Sarah, what do you rate a little mixy? Well, based on the fact that it's the type of beer that I am not really happy. Uh, it's not my first go to pick at all. It is like the last type of beer that I pick, the lager. Uh, it was really a pleasant surprise for me. I was really surprised by the taste and the the actual uh, crisp, clean. It, it seems so um, fresh to me. Like, I don't know, like it's. I really enjoyed it. So it's going to be a partial for me. That's a three out of five. Yep. So I'm going to go with that because um, I think this is a beer that actually could bridge that gap between people who are not craft beer drinkers mm-hmm. um, and the people that are craft beer drinkers. This would be something that they could both enjoy at a carnasada kind of deal. So that's my rating. <laughs> okay, well, I'll go next. This is Kristen. I'm also going to give it a three out of five partial. Um, I definitely liked it more than I thought I was going to. I thought I was going to hate it and that it was going to be horrible. Um, I having eaten Taco Bell for <laughs> lunch, I feel like I have the perfect base for a Mexican lager. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so it's so far so good. It's a 5-4. And I'm not going to lie. I haven't even drank half of it. And I already kind of feel it. So I was going to say that. And I, yeah. thought, and I thought, wow, that's kind of, it creeps up on you a little bit. A yeah. Little bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I am giving it a partial three out of five. Okay. Uh, this is Jen. And I'm also going to give it a partial. Honestly, that's a lot kinder than I thought I was going to be because uh, I was, I was like, Oh my God, it's probably going to be like the Trejo beer all over again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, um, but no, it's, it's, it's pretty crisp. It's pretty refreshing. It's something that I would drink when I don't want to drink water, but I would be like, uh, <laughs> like, I know, but I also don't want to drink like a strong beer or something that's too like overwhelmingly like, whatever it is it's a it's a nice go in between so uh i'm gonna give it a partial i think this was a glowing review because like we are not lager drinkers so i think this is a really good rating for this i mean this speaks a lot so if you guys out there thinking this is just like a a flat kind of review like in the middle no it it actually is really good review because considering it's a lager so i'm really happy with this i'm i'm really kind of shocked about this <laughs> me too like i can't believe it like i might buy another four pack i don't know <laughs> yeah this another thing is that because i was just thinking about it and we all have very distinct tastes like mm-hmm. Kristen really likes ipas and like hazy ipas i like porters and stouts and sarah you like sours and stuff like that mm-hmm. so we all have very different tastes as well so i think the fact that we gave this a three out of five for it being like something that is definitely not within are like interest i think that's pretty good yeah yeah very impressive 
Well, that has been our beer review, guys. And now it's time for Chisme de la Semana. And Kristen, you have some Chisme for us today. I do have some Chisme. So um, I'm super excited about the fact that... um, Excuse me, the loggers coming back to visit. <laughs> uh, Regina King has been named to direct Bitter Root, um, which is the adaptation of a Harlem Renaissance set comic. So Bitter Root actually was a book that was super popular when it came out um, originally. And there were people coming um, to get that number one uh, for weeks after it came out and actually had a lot of eyes on it for the first uh, story arc. And I never got to read it. So I never got to actually, because we kept, we sold out of it. And so we never, I never got to read it, but I've heard that it's really good. Um, but the fact that Regina King coming off of, um, she was nominated for her um, role in Watchmen, I believe. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Also, she had a dic- di- uh, directorial, directorial debut, uh, One Night in Miami. I think. Oh, that's, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's streaming on uh, Amazon, I believe. I'm not sure. Oh, I is it? Oh, I got to check yeah. it out. Or Hulu. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's on a streaming platform for sure. And But yeah, I, but a lot of people are saying that it's good, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's well, it was not it was Academy Award nominated, I believe. Yes, for Best I believe so. Mm-hmm. It was uh, I believe it was. Um, and it's based on a play with the same name. And it's basically kind of like a, a, a fictional meeting of Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke. So Ooh. there's all these great like people that are going to be in this conversation in this play that was adapted in this movie that was directed by Regina King. And it, uh, it did so well it, uh, as far as, you know, being nominated and so forth, but um, to be her debut director, uh, uh, directorial debut is like amazing. So she's out here doing amazing. I mean, that's great for the little girl from 227. Okay. So along with directing King will also produce the movie for legendary pictures um additional producers will include black panther director ryan coogler uh, zinzi coogler and sev ohanian of proximity media the comic book creators david f walker sanford green and chuck brown will executive produce the film adaptation so the book is actually set during the vibrant harlem renaissance of 1924 And Bitter Root follows a fractured family of once great monster hunters who face an unimaginable evil that descends upon New York City. For generations, the San, how do you say this, San Jarius have hunted and cured those infected by a supernatural force that feeds off the prejudice of the era, transforming humans into monsters. With most of the kin dead, the surviving San Jarius have the un- Every and unenviable choice to save or kill the creatures in hopes of thwarting an invasion. So, uh, Brian Edward Hill, who has been enlisted to pen the upcoming Power Rangers for E1 and Hasbro, is currently rewriting the draft of the screenplay. And Brian Hill is such an amazing writer, I love him so much. He, um, 
he wrote a lot of, um, uh, gosh, what is the top cow? He writes a lot for top cow. Mm -hmm. He also Mm -hmm. was one of the, he was the creator who, um, Remember when DC had the special thing that was coming out uh, where we went to the uh, <laughs> we went to the um, panel at Comic-Con and they introduced this new line of which one comic came out that we will not name <laughs> anymore. It was a reset oh, of Vertigo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason okay, that's right. I'm like, I know it's DC related and then Vertigo <laughs> dis- disappeared. Okay. He was the writer. Brian Hill is the writer who um was the one that went oh you have you missed the panel, huh Sarah? He I went deep underground into yes. ri- white supremacists. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he went, yes, American Carnage, thank you. He went deep underground into white supremacist uh chat groups right and chat rooms and stuff like yeah into the the deep web internet's uh secrets dark corners to research his book and um the stories that he was sharing and telling about what he saw and what he learned when he was doing that was so fascinating but he is an amazing writer he's actually a friend of Heidi Ho um and is local to Los Angeles and so the fact that he is rewriting the script um Ooh. from uh the original uh, screenplay is actually super interesting and promising and I'm really interested in what this is going to bring to us. So um, it doesn't say anything about when it's due out. It's just um, a big uh, story about Regina King um, being named to direct, which I think is amazing. Um, And I love when I see comic books being adapted to either TV or movie. And I hope that brings more people into the shop. So that is my chisme de la semana. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if you guys noticed that the uh, trailer for Sweet Tooth is out. It's going to be a (gasps) Netflix uh, series. adaptation. I have not. I'm excited about it. it. I got to order more Sweet Tooth. These these comic uh, shows and movies are coming out faster than what I can like grasp. <laughs> Next oh, thing yeah. I know, people are coming in and asking. I'm like, wait a second. Like, what's going on? Yeah, I'm still watching. <laughs> I'm still watching. Uh, what do you call it? Catfish. Like, let me catch up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. 2020 really put a delay on a lot of the stuff that was coming out. So I think now they're just oh, like that makes sense. pushing it all out, which yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because now you're just going to have so much content out that has just been pushed out because it's been late for a year mm-hmm. and they want to know what the audience reception is. But when you put out too much stuff again, saturation of the market yeah so we'll oh. see we'll see how stuff fares but Absolutely. i am excited for the sweet tooth one and i am excited for this one as well so hopefully uh it's gonna be real fucking good and it seems to be that it is yeah yeah it uh, it looks amazing and also i think they the why the last man i think it's also in the works of coming out i believe i saw it why the last man has been in the works for like the past 10 years no yeah. but i finally <laughs> saw like a snippet of a snippet of a kind of a trailer along with other trailers in the same uh, uh stream but um <clears throat> uh, i just hope that they don't flub it up with sweet tooth uh like they did with lock and key that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. 
but uh, also I wanted to share in the vein of catfish is I saw this uh, this little you know icon that said Texicana, Texicana, again, Texicana. Okay, <laughs> and um, so I foolishly pressed play, and I was freaking sucked in. It is so good, and I'm so mad that it's only one season that that's available out to watch. But uh, yeah, just check it out. You'll thank me for it. Is this a reality show? <laughs> yes, man. It's one of those like reality <laughs> shows. It follows like a group of uh, Mexican American or just American or Mexican descent friends, and they're all like so extra with their wardrobe and makeup and all that stuff. But they have like such a toxic friendship that it's just so amazing to watch. And it's set up in San Antonio, <laughs> Texas, so it's a bunch of like colorful murals and a lot of like. Uh, Mexican themed food and like it's all like Mexican based and I just love it I love it and and they all speak Espanol y Inglés and so it's like really good like they don't <clears throat> they obviously dub uh, not dub uh, subtitle the Spanish portion but um, sometimes when they get mad their their whole uh, Spanish stuff comes out and it's like super fun anyway uh, Texicana yo thank you for it guys <laughs> That is my chisme for that. All right, guys, it's now time for our book review. So today uh, for Asian American Pacific Islander Month, we are reviewing The Good Asian, which is a comic by Image. Uh, and it is by Octavia Bray, Liz Choi. Oh, sorry, wrong, <laughs> wrong people. <laughs> the wrong ones um, um but it is by Peter Shote, Tefengi, Lowridge and Powell and the good Asian is uh it's kind of a noir book and this is only issue one but uh the good Asian follows the history of the uh, the history of the Chinese immigrant immigrant band that was done like around the late 1800s yeah. in California um, uh, and it it follows along the traditions of like Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe, and Easy Rollins. It follows Edison Hark, a Chinese-American who made police detective in Hawaii, the only state it was possible for him to, decades before America was ready for it, and what it took for him to exist. It's about his flaws and hypocrisies, and about a time where for at least for this portion of Americans, things felt like they were on the cusp of changing. It's it's a noir book, and uh, from the book, it says that it's about murder, lust, and power, but it's also about immigration, police brutality, identity, politics, and Asian-American masculinity. It's a pulp mystery set amidst a forgotten America. So it's it's very it's very noir it's very pulpy uh i enjoyed it but it has a lot of like old timey language as well it calls um yeah. Uh, yeah it calls uh it uses an old slur for chinese people as well as calling most of them orientals as well which is very mm -hmm. no no now um um so be prepared for that and like there's like like i said it was mentions of racism and stuff like that but overall i think it's i think it was a pretty solid read it's a pretty solid start it starts 
you can already kind of tell where this is going. I can already like make just because I know a bit of noir and I know how most of it unfolds. I can already kind of tell where this is going to go. At least it's really funny because if it's good noir and good noir is very formulaic. And mm-hmm. to some people, that's that can be boring. And sometimes it is boring. It's about how you execute that. So this doesn't look to be that it's going to be like your typical for like, it's still going to follow the good formula of the noir, which is, you know, mystery, like sexy times, as well as like <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of racism and, you know, police brutality and stuff like that. Um, um, so, but it's, it's, it seems to be, angling it in a way that's more like examining it than being mm-hmm. like very exhibited like very like not exhibitive but it's very like almost gratuitous mm-hmm. uh so that's that's I think that's a really key difference in like good nor from excellent nor when it's more of an examination of this kind of era and the politics and stuff like that whereas it's just being gratuitous because the author just wants to you know write down a slur for Chinese people and uh, he's okay with it because that's how they called them at the time so uh I think I think so far it it, and I like the back matter as well because there's a very long letter uh in the back that gives uh a brief history about the Chinese um uh, immigration ban as well as how it was a basis for later uh limiting immigration not only for Chinese but other Asians and uh Arabs as well and how that the history of immigration bans is one that has is very long in the mm-hmm. United States so I think it's a, it's very interesting and very uh, kind of appropriate but like um, uh, for the times, for our times at least, about how these immigration bans aren't something new to the United States. So uh, it's a very solid piece, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I like the fact that they had a historical consultant for this book. Um, so and um, so I appreciate that when people do research on their their baby, their, you know, their story, you know, what they're trying to say. And, you know, they're basing it a lot of, uh, on history and they have a history consultant and they've done their research and stuff like that. Um, I really appreciate that a lot. And um um, I really like the first two pages and where it kind of gives you kind of a sense of where the government mm-hmm. was with uh, Chinese immigration. Um, and then it, it then and then it mutated for Asians to include Asians and, and Arabs. And um, and this all takes place like years, like half a century into the future and these bans and there's these rules and um these laws keep changing and not in the favor of the immigrant at all like it's it just includes more immigrants to just uh put under the umbrella of the entire ban and i think um even now in the times we're living in right now it uh, <laughs> it just goes to show that not much has been changing at all at all um i really like uh this story i like I love this era because uh, it has all that like, like, like you said, dark noir kind of art with like, you know, maybe like, uh, like scenes like in dark corners and like these, these shadows and even the, even the fashion um, is, it's uh, really appealing to me. So I really, really enjoyed this. Um, And this is uh, just the first issue guys. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, Um, 
weirdly enough, I identify with the main character. Um, his there's kind of a self-loathing to him um, that that I really like as a character. Like I don't know why, but I kind of really identify with him. Um, and uh, his name is Edison Hark, uh, which uh, I'm kind of surprised at the name. <laughs> but but it all it, as the story is told it, it unfolds but uh the, I feel that there's a self-loathing with him and a disconnect with like the recently immigrated uh Chinese people and the difference he has because he actually practiced detective work in Hawaii before he was asked to come in and help out with this uh disappearance of a young lady named Ivy so um there's definitely like a, a development where there's it's sort of like they're the yeah there's similarities to the immigrants that are coming into the U.S. and the people that are trying to work uh, and earn a living here in the states and him who has kind of already like he already has lived as an American sort of speak in Hawaii and then is kind of face to face with like where his roots came from and there's kind of like a I feel there's a little self kind of loathing there like I uh, I don't know and like I think he, the people that um they come in contact with that are being arrested or whatever um they kind of look at him and say how could you do this to your people kind of thing like there there is that sense of guilt as well like I'm really liking this <laughs> this story so far what do you think Kristen? Um, I really uh, agree that the uh, the historical relevance of the comic is something that was very interesting to me. Um, some of this stuff I was not even aware of. If I learned it at some point in my education, it went in one ear and out the other. And after I took the <laughs> test, I forgot all about it. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, uh... Uh, but um, what has really uh, hit me was uh, this coupled with the story we read last week uh, for Asian Pacific uh, Islander Heritage Month, which was they called this enemy. It just really highlights for me and hits home exactly what you said, Sarah, that our government has just been super shitty to immigrants for so fucking long. And we are honestly almost right where we started. Uh, and so that's just really frustrating for me. Um, it's frustrating for me as an American. It's frustrated, frustrated, frustrating for me um, as somebody who is from a family um, with immigration in my uh, his, in my family history. And it just it, it makes me so angry. Um, and what I really love about this book is that this his, history is wrapped up really nicely in this really super interesting 100% noir story. There's probably going to be murder. Yes, there was murder in this first issue. There's probably going to be a damsel in distress. Yes, there in this issue, there is that. There is a, a leading man who has issues. Um, usually it's alcoholism or something like that. Um, here, I think his thing is, because I haven't seen him pick up a beer, but here his thing is exactly his inner strife with his uh, his identity of he he was taken in by uh, a white man uh, and 
raised that way, but he has this heritage that still he and and that's where the title is that comes from. He's the quote unquote good Asian. All the other ones are trash, and they they use that term in this book um, a lot to refer to um, Asian immigrants that they're just mm-hmm. trash. Uh, and actually, there is a, um, a term in here that they kept using. I'm like, what does that mean? Me coolie. Coolie. And so I, I, I uh, Googled it and it literally says that it means that um, it, it refers to immigrants, usually of Asian descent, as being trash. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely. I know. I was- <laughs> Just as shocked, I was like, what is this coolie? Like, it seems cool because, you know, cool, the word cool. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, they're just adding an IE and it's probably cool. <laughs> but then, <laughs> then I saw and I was like, oh, shit, it's not mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a very, it, it's derogatory. a very old derogatory term. Yeah, and I get it. I get that. Um, But the fact that... That this story is being written and there's mystery and intrigue and and a whole bunch of stuff going on, but that underlying is this cultural and ethnic issue, mm-hmm. um, I find to be very super uh, creative and interesting. And the artwork is amazing. Um, I actually happen to be holding the issue that has the variant cover by... Um, Santa Takeda, uh, who is the um, artist for Monstrous. And oh, wow. it is it is so awesome. I love it so much. But I really liked this book. I read it a couple of weeks ago when it first came out. And I reread it today because back then I read it really quickly for our uh, our weekly Tuesday Night Live um, show for Heidi Ho. Um, but I reread it today and was able to give it a little bit more time. And I actually picked up some things that I had missed and um, actually got a better sense of the story and the storyline. And so um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. um, um, I'm not really like nor style writing is not like my first go-to, but it really interests me. I just feel like sometimes it goes over my head because, you know, there's a lot of mystery involved with it. But I like this setting with the historical value to the story that I really am enjoying a lot. I think I'm going to enjoy the um, the sexy times part of this movie too because <laughs> I, already, I already saw the paneling uh, for kind of, uh, kind of that his quote unquote his type of girl and I saw the paneling for that and I'm like oh wow this is gonna be great so um (laughs) so uh there's gonna be a lot of that and I for one want to know why he has that scar in his eye yes I that's definitely something that uh I wanted to uh learn more about as well and just um an aside I want everyone to know that uh, the creator, the art, the writer, um, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but Porn Sak Pichet Shote, he is a Thai American. So um, he is uh, of Asian uh, origin. And um, I just want to make that clear because we are highlighting this book um, during Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. 
Absolutely. And it just, uh, First Issue is out right now. So contact your local comic book shop, maybe put it on your pull list. Um, I'm not sure when the second issue is out. Um, do you guys know if this is a limited issue series or is it an ongoing series? No, I'm pretty sure it's it's going to be a limited series. Um, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm, let me check, actually, if I can find out how many issues it's going to be. But I'm pretty sure that it was uh, limited. Yeah, I'm really excited about issue two because they have on the very last page the cover art by Dave Johnson for issue number two. And it looks really cool. It has a, a mahjong tile that is falling over him. Um, and mahjong, I just I just uh, kind of like I've I've seen it before in movies, but I I mostly grasp the concept of it in uh, Crazy Rich Asians. So <laughs> Uh, so I'm like, oh, I know what that is. Like now I'm like, oh, look, I know what that is. So like, it's really exciting. Um, and then it it has the second issue covers on the very back of the first issue. So I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. I just so I'm looking at imagecomics.com on the Good Asian page and it has three issues that they are soliciting. So I don't know that it's going to be any more than that. But issue number two comes out June 9th and issue number three comes out July 7th. Oh, excellent. That's super cool. Um, and the second variant issue uh, cover for issue number two is going to be by Annie Wu. So check those out if you want to go on the Image Comics website to check out those uh, covers to see which one you guys want to put on your pull list, if not both. But um, are we ready to actually uh, rate this comic? Sure. Excellent. So I'll go first. My name is Sarah, as you guys know. Um, yes, the good Asian. I, like I said, uh, sometimes I feel that the noir type of story goes over my head because there's a lot of uh, aspects of the story you have to consider because it's mystery building and mystery solving. Um, but I really love this book. And I love when comic books teach you something. You guys already know that. And I love the fact that there are some stuff that I did not know that this comic taught me about, you know, certain laws that were passed by the U.S. Uh, regarding uh, uh, Chinese Americans and then Asian Americans and Arabs and, you know, and how our laws haven't changed and highlighting that and uh, putting that up again, uh, putting that information against what's going on right now um this book i'm gonna give it tres conchas and i can't wait for the next few issues because i really want to know why he got a scar in his face <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is Kristen, and um i really enjoyed the the noir aspect of the book uh, and uh, the fact that, like I said, all this historical relevance of immigration and uh, the Chinese immigration ban um, and all that uh, stuff really endeared me to the story. I also am really super interested to see where it goes uh, and to see the character development of um, Edison Park himself, because usually there is a lot of significant character development with a main character in a, a noir story um and so i will also give it uh three conchas yeah and just to I, i'm so sorry to interrupt but 
there is an aspect of the story between the stepsister and himself that I want to see developed. Yeah. Um, because there was a comment she made. This She said, you're not my brother. You're just some trash my dad brought in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's something there. And I can't wait. <laughs> but, anyway, but, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Jen, you go ahead. Uh, I'm hesitant to give most first issues tres conchas, so I'm actually going to give it two. But I did, I did enjoy it a lot. I do expect um uh, more, like even greater things from this book because it was really interesting and I really like it. And I'm pretty sure that once we get to that twist of whatever the noir is, we're going, we're going to be really surprised. So for right now, two conchas. Excellent. So that has been our rating of The Good Asian. All right, guys, it's now time for On My Radar. And guys, On My Radar is Lunar Ladies by, it's published by Scout Comics. Um, it is a three-issue comic book story, and it is uh, written by Omar Morales. The art is by Joel Cotejar, and colorist is Renea Delis. Um, and you can actually... Well, it's actually right now it's available for um, uh, on the previews uh, to be ordered through Diamond and you could put it on your pull list. Uh, also, it it's um, the code for the previews is May M-A-Y 211676. And um, this basically is a story about uh, there's a. Uh, all right, guys, uh, uh, Lunar Ladies is about uh, a million years ago in outer space, a highly advanced society of women lives under the surface of the moon. Their peaceful way of living is quietly fracturing from the inside as political ideologies pit the queen of the moon against a gen- geneticist hell bent on ups. Usurping on usurping, that's a word I haven't read in a while. Usurping the Queen's (laughs) power. The Lunar Ladies is an homage to the public domain character Moon Girl, complete with golden age ray guns and laser rays. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) um, This book is three issues, and like I said, it's from um, uh, the Scout Comics Publishing Company, and also you can order it through Diamond. So if you put it on your pull list, then your local comic book shop will know to order that for you. Um, the art looks really cute. Uh, it, I'm already liking it. I don't. Uh, I feel like it's really, really cute. And um, the price that they uh, might be selling this comic book for is for uh, $3.99. So um, give them a try, guys. The Lunar Ladies. So um, I just want to make a note. Uh, Scout is actually no longer, um, or they never, they never were. I don't think. Maybe they were. Yeah, they were. They are no longer um, distributed by Diamond. They are now Lunar. Oh wow! Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, they're on the previews for issue one. I don't know what the. Oh, really? What Interesting. Inf- yeah, what the information will be for issues two and three. But as for right now, you uh, your po- uh, local comic book shop can order these through the number on previews, which is May, M-A-Y, 211676. Uh, and they're on the previews catalog. So um, that only tells me that it's distributed by Diamond. Yeah. So, but um, not sure if they are tied in for issues two and three. 
Um, if not, I'm sure that your local comic book shop will be able to order through. Lula. Yeah, they'll be. They have all the back end information. information. You just need to tell them the, the name of the book. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So, um, yeah, that's on my radar. I is have it my one. turn? <laughs> yes, yes. What is on your radar? Okay, so on my radar is um, the fact that uh, Marvel Comics has been doing this Marvel Voices uh, anthology series over the last couple of months. Uh, and uh, we saw Marvel Voices um Indigenous voices. We saw Marvel voices, uh, women uh, in Marvel. Uh, and then we saw Marvel voices, Black History Month. And in June, of course, we are going to get a Marvel's voices pride. So um, they're going to have a historic celebration of LGBTQ plus characters and, and creators in Marvel's voices pride number one. Uh, it is uh, uh, going to be, like I said, part of the collection that we already saw, um, Indigenous Voices, Legacy, and now Pride. And it says that this is going to be Marvel's first ever queer-centered special spotlighting Marvel's growing tapestry of LGBTQ plus characters. Uh, these, yeah, stories, these stories of inspiration and empowerment will be brought to life by an assembly of writers and artists from all walks of life, including Kieran Gillen, Olivier Copiel, uh, Coipel, not Copiel, Coipel, Steve Orlando, Anthony Oliveira, Tini Howard, Vita Ayala, Chris Anka, Javier Garron, and many more. Um, and there is going to be a um, special, there's going to be special variant covers for uh, this. Uh, celebration and um, the covers are going to be by Phil Jimenez um, and it's going to uh, be America Chavez, Iceman, Northstar, Dakin and other uh, variant covers coming out. So um, you can and they're actually super cool. I've already started uh, uh, some of them are, were on FOC this last week. Uh, and it's for a lot of the X-Men titles, but it says um, there's going to be a total of nine covers that Phil Jimenez is going to be doing. And the characters include America Chavez, Black Cat, Dakin, Hulkin and Wil Hulkling and Wiccan, Iceman, Moon Dragon, Mystique, North Star. So um, you can look through all the covers in um, the gallery that we will share on our uh, Facebook. So definitely keep an eye out and let your um, LCS know that you are interested in the Pride variants and also uh, Marvel's Voices Pride number one. Wow, that sounds super amazing. And these are being released in, you said? June. June. Yep. Awesome. Which is Super cool. National Pride Month. That's right, guys. Let's go. It's the month of the gays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, it's not time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen, what do you have for us today? I keep putting my phone down like I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> Okay, so today I have some interesting um, 
juntos um, because I am going to share with you about the Cartoon Art Museum, but not just specifically about the Art Museum, which is um, an art museum up in the Bay Area, I believe actually in San Francisco, that highlights uh, cartoonists um, and the what is it, the world of cartooning, um, but they actually have uh, an artist showcase going on right now featuring Lawrence Lindell. It's going to be uh, there at the Cartoon Art Museum from May 15th all the way through August 30th, 2021, and um, this installment is... Uh, it's an ongoing emerging artist showcase, which I believe they're going to be changing um, every so often. So this particular particular exhibit features a selection of Lindell's self-published comics with an emphasis on mental health, blackness and queerness. Uh, Lawrence Lindell is an artist and educator from California that works in many artistic disciplines, including comics, music, illustration and mixed media. Over the years, Lindell's work has focused on queerness, mental health, and Blackness, where the themes often overlap. He has been self-publishing his work for nearly a decade, leading to the creation of his graphic memoir, From Truth With Truth, which was nominated for the Believer Book Award and the Dwayne McDuffie Award for Diversity in Comics in 2020. <laughs> Excuse me. He frequently con contributes to the New Yorker Daily Shouts and runs the small press Linnea House with his Ooh, wife, hey. where they publish their own work as well as the Bailey's Magazine Anthology. So, surprise, surprise, this is, um, what's his name? What's her, what, what, what's her name? <laughs> the person we interviewed recently with the chongo on top. <laughs> Brina? Brina, yes, this is her husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our world is so small. I know. So, so beautiful. So freaking beautiful. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, about the Emerging Artist Showcase overall, it's dedicated to the presentation of new and emerging voices in comics from the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. This ongoing series of exhibitions is curated by the Cartoon Art Museum and supported in part by the Zellerbach Family Foundation. Um, so definitely check out if you are in the area, Emerging Artist Showcase, Lawrence Lindell at the Cartoon Art Museum between May 15th and August 30th. That is super freaking cool. All right, guys, it's time for En La Libreria. And I have an En La Libreria for you guys today. It turns out, guys, that El Peso Hero is uh, celebrating their 10th year anniversary in a El Peso Hero, El Peso Hero collection. It's El Peso, the El Peso Hero Boch. collection. <laughs> and it's available and considered right now. Uh, it uh, for to be fully funded, it needs a pledge of five thousand dollar goal, and it's currently at four thousand four hundred seventy two dollars with seventy three backers and nineteen days to go. Nice. So this will be like the entire collection, all in one trade paperback. Um, I'm super excited. I've already pledged. Um, there's uh, pledges of like just because you uh, believe in the project. There's a $15 PDF collector's trade paperback PDF. Uh, there's a $40 pledge 
for the PDF and the trade paperback, which I have already pledged to. Uh, I'm very excited to get all of my uh, issues in one specific book format so that I could read it all the way through. I love that. There's other uh, pledges of like $75 uh, with the Sam De La Rosa anniversary print, a personalized cover for $100, uh, a movie-sized poster for $150 along with the book. Um, there's a lot of different pledge thing. Uh, um, uh, pledge availabilities on here but again it's El Peso Hero the 10th year anniversary and again 19 days to go uh, check it out at Kickstarter. Can you tell us what the book is about? Oh sorry <laughs> I got so excited I did it <laughs> so anyway I don't know if you guys know but it's sort of like a mixture between Logan Wolverine meets Sicarios in the highly acclaimed bilingual neo-western comic series collected in one massive paperback collection uh so yes uh we actually read and reviewed the first issue uh where we were introduced to the main character which was remained a mystery for us mm -hmm. but there's one connecting piece uh, uh uh kind of a the buckle he wears was kind of like a medallion from from eons ago that has traveled to now. So uh, that kind of like sense of like like uh, history into the comic book was really interesting to me. So um, I can't wait to read it. We st uh, When we left off in the first issue, it was still kind of a mystery of who he was, but we knew that he was helping out um, all the people that were crossing the border and in detention camps and such. So if that kind of inspires you or is something you'd like to read, I suggest you check out the Kickstarter. Yeah, it yes. says on the kick. Sorry, on the Kickstarter, it says El Peso Hero is the defender of immigrants, a hero to the disenfranchised, and growing vexation for Mexican cartels, corrupt officials, and human traffickers. I like it. Jen, you have an En la Libreria today. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, yeah, um, uh, in the librería I have is Golden Trick. It's a full color, full color erotic graphic novel about sex, magic, and the subtle art of the con. I want it and I need it. <laughs> yeah. So the book, and specifically uh, on the Kickstarter, the creator says that the book is for eighteen and over. Uh, it's um, um, uh, it's it's an erotic story. But the story follows Uther and Galahad, who are two conmen caught up in each other's lives while trying to escape the walled city they've both grown up in. Using their skills at both magic and pleasure, they might just be the first pair of people to make it out alive. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get a shirt that says I am skilled in both magic and pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the same thing, right? <laughs> so, um, um, it starts off a, at a base pledge of five dollars, where you just kind of to support the book, and you'll get uh your name in the back of the book with like um uh, of people who supported it, and then it jumps up to thirty dollars, which is a physical hard uh, paperback copy of the book, um, uh, as well as um uh, your name on it, and then it goes up to forty dollars, and you get like a book plate, the physical copy of the book. And again, uh, all other previous rewards as well. And um, uh, it's currently at about 
$1,200. It has 36 backers. And as of right now, it still has about 27 days to go. Um, uh, but it's it looks really interesting. If you don't mind queer erotica, then I go ahead and back this because I know I am. I'm very interested in it. And what's so, it called again? Golden Trick. Golden Trick. Yes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll um uh, we'll post uh about it as well. But it's really interesting. It sounds really fascinating, and the artwork for it looks really nice uh as well so uh go ahead and back it i think it's a very interesting story that sounds fascinating <laughs> thank you for that all right guys it's now time for saludos and saludos goes out to flower in spanish at instagram now as you guys remember in the last episode flower in spanish um on the instagram uh is actually flor but um, the Instagram uh, tag is at flower in Spanish, all one word. Um, and if you guys remember last week's episode, we mentioned how uh, they were um, sending backpacks to the kids that were going to be at the uh, Long Beach Convention Center before they transitioned to their homes. Um, if you follow them on Instagram, you have seen that they actually got way more backpacks than they thought they would. A lot of people, uh, freaking amazingly enough, just bought the backpack on Amazon and had Amazon deliver it directly to the address, which is way better than I ever thought. Like, I should have thought of that instead of like thinking <laughs> of going to Ross and buying a backpack. But that was freaking genius as uh but uh, they got so many donations, guys, so many donations that they are actually going to take the rest of the remaining backpacks and take them to Texas to the other detention centers um, and distribute them over there. So thank you guys all for participating in this. It's been amazing. Um, please follow them on Instagram so you can see all their wonderful posts and you could see the merchandise and all the backpacks that came in and how you know they had to repackage them or take them out of the boxes and so forth i mean um you know they let you see what uh, you're contributing to so that's been amazing um that is amazing although that being said they're having some issues with um the irs now uh, they are waiting their 50 501c3 status um, and because of that, a lot of people have been saying that maybe they're not legit. Um, but what they're saying is at the end of the day, um, they're just they're not looking for validation anymore they're, or any doubts about them. They're just looking to make a difference in the lives they serve and they're on a mission. We are on a mission. Anything that doesn't uplift our communities is a distraction to the work that needs to be done. Um, that being said, uh, I say, um, I suggest you follow them. Uh, it's flower in Spanish and see for yourself. And because they're trying to make a difference and um, they're doing it a little bit at a time um, with struggles that they're facing against the IRS right now and against a lot of naysayers. But at the end of the day, like they said, they're just trying to make a difference in the world of these people that have nobody else to help them out with uh, here. So 
if you find it in your heart uh, to contribute to any of the other uh, fundraisers they are attempting to organize in order to help uh, our people out, then um, give them a follow and saludos goes out to them. Uh, thank you for all the hard work you're doing. Um, I saw all the backpacks and all the videos that you sent uh, that you have posted on Instagram. And it is mind blowing all the hard work you're putting into this project. Um, and not asking for any recognition and actually getting some backlash. So um, I, I really want to highlight and make sure that uh, you know that there are people out here that really support your cause, support your mission, and that we're here to help. So saludos goes out to Flower in Spanish. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. I know, I'm so excited. You scared me. <laughs> Every time we get to this part, I get super excited because, guys, why? Why? Because we have why? a website. Comics.com, baby. Yes, you can find everything you need to know about where you can find us on the interwebs at www.comadresecomics.com. You can figure out how to contact us, how to email us, how to find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, all the places. Um, OnlyFans coming soon. <laughs> Dude, I just saw this lady on Instagram post her fans only, uh, uh, t- uh, I guess, website thing on the back of her car like like oh uh i was like damn girl (laughs) i mean there has to be a market for chubby latinas out there i'm just saying absolutely are you kidding dude we keep you warm at night (laughs) and we feed you good Uh, but we also have a Patreon going on, so be sure to check that out. Thinking about giving us money. <laughs> Just give us all your monies. <laughs> um, yes, there's that. And also, we are uh, I've been uh, lagging it, but we're coming to the end of our raffle. So be sure to rate um, and review our podcast on Apple uh, Podcasts I- slash iTunes. Also, be sure to uh comment on Castbox and also you can comment on our website in order to win the raffle of a ninth anniversary monkish can release along with lightning strikes issue one and two autographed by Marcus Newsom. Thank you so much for listening guys. Um, also wanted to let you know um that uh contrary to Henry also did an interview with the writer of The Good Asian. So check that mm-hmm. out. Uh, it was, I I was there um, when it was first, um, when it was live, but I had other things to do and I couldn't stick around, but I was really excited to see that he was being interviewed on Contrary to Henry. Uh, be sure to check Contrary to Henry, The Good Asian, search that in uh, Facebook and I'm sure you'll come across the episode. Uh, this has, we have been your host, I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.